I hate to rein in the conversations, but uh, it's about that time. It's so funny how you can observe differences in the services. Like the 9 a.m.ers are always just like more subdued. Maybe it's like you guys slept in and you got more energy and it's further along in the day. It's always the early crowd that's a little more chill and you guys are just ready to talk and just go have lunch. But let's hang out. We'll do lunch in a little bit. Uh, March Madness, anyone? Yeah? Can I get a strong amen for my homies? Northern Iowa? Anybody see that shot? We got some Northern Iowa back here. Yeah? Northern Iowa? Man, I'm down with some of that. Like, uh, March Madness is the best. But, uh, hey, there's love for the Badgies. Love for the Packers. We got a lot of Iowa folks here, though, so... I don't know if we can navigate that uh, Jew and Gentile tension, but we're gonna, we're gonna, the gospel can bring us together, amen? Um, we got to contextualize. So I'm all in with the Badgers. I'm all in with the Packers. Don't worry. But uh, yeah, I got to give it up for the Panthers, Northern Iowa, half-court shot. If you didn't see it, go on YouTube and watch it. You'll, it's, even if you hate basketball, it's cool. Best shot of the tournament, YouTube, Northern Iowa. Had to, had to do a little... Plug for my people. All right, let's get down to business. All right, if you have a Bible, let's open up to Genesis chapter 40. Uh, open up your paper Bible, your smartphone. Um, and even if you don't have a Bible yet on your smartphone, just download one right now. Uh, don't get too distracted. But I think it's important that we see the text. I want you to believe that we're not making this up. And sometimes having it on the screen is good, but to have it in front of your face is probably better. Uh, so whether paper or digital, either way, let's, let's do that. Um, so Genesis chapter 40, we all love a, a rags to riches story and, and rags to riches stories are firmly entrenched in our culture through the medium of movies. And I, mean, I was just brainstormed uh, this week and looked up some, some, uh, some of this online as well. But think about it like this, you know, Cinderella, Disney, rags to riches, right? Um, We've got the male version of Cinderella, Cinderella Man, Russell Crowe. Anybody remember that movie? I love that movie. Everybody, should, you don't like that movie? What's, the, what's your problem? Uh, it's like one of my favorites. I just told the first service that everybody should watch it. And my mother-in-law here is uh, giving me grief. Um, so Cinderella Man, Russell Crowe, husbands laying down their lives for their family. Great movie. We've got, uh, I got rebuked by my father-in-law this week because my kids have not seen Rocky. So rags to riches, ultimate rags to riches, right? Rocky, that, that's, that's part of American, uh, famous American film. We've got more recently, Michael O. and The Blind Side with Sandra Bullock, right? Huge movie. Uh, you've got The Pursuit of Happiness maybe a decade ago with Will Smith. You haven't seen it? Great, great movie. Rags to riches story. Uh, you've got um, maybe not as profound but definitely as famous. You've got Pretty Woman. Julie Roberts, right? Uh, uh, is someone scandalized by me bringing that up? <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, and then, hey, um, way more, maybe more popular, definitely famous, uh, Slumdog Millionaire, right? Won the Oscar, I think, or something that year. So we've got all these stories and woven into the fabric of our culture. You know, you can always tell the values of a culture by the stories they tell. And we tell stories in our culture mainly through movies. 
And so there's something that resonates with who we are as a people with this rags to riches narrative. And, and I think it's partly because of our real American history. For many people in the history of our country, you know, from the first settlers to the, to the solidifying of our, our country as a real nation distinct from the, Brit, the British, maybe, you know, three, four, five hundred years, you've got this narrative of we want to make a better life for ourselves. So we're going to pick up and maybe it's just immigration, um, we want to immigrate to the United States because it, it represents a chance. It represents a chance. We can make something of ourselves. We can throw off these rags and maybe pursue riches. That's part of the American story for many, many people. I, I have friends to this day that live in other countries, um, in North Africa or other parts of the world, that would give anything to move to the United States just because it represents a chance. And yes, we've got problems, but in a lot of ways, our problems aren't near as what they are in other parts of the world. People would die to get into our country for this rags-to-riches narrative. But, but think about it like this. A rags-to-riches story is not for the faint of heart. It's intimidating. And it does imply suffering because it's rags. And... and and rags are not easy to wear, and rags are not easy to overcome. And I think that's the, part of the reason why we all relate to a rags-to-riches story. Because deep down, most of us, if we're honest, feel a little ragged. We, we, we feel not so altogether. A bit needy, a bit like, man, I'd love to achieve something better. And we got to be careful because that talk of achievement can pervert the gospel, but definitely the desire to make things new, we resonate with that. Because we know we're not all together. And I think that does point to something in our human condition that only Jesus can satisfy. Because his story is the ultimate rags to riches story. And nuanced a little better, it's riches choosing to take on our rags and then returning to riches. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Today we're going to see a, an ultimate biblical rags to riches story in the life of Joseph. And we've been in the book of Genesis for many months now, and today we're kind of turning the corner in, with Joseph in his life. And here's the point that I want you to see today from two chapters that we're going to cover. No matter where Joseph is, highest of highs or lowest of lows, God's presence and power is with Joseph. Why? For the sake of blessing others and moving God's mission forward in the world. Let me say it again. No matter where Joseph is, highest of highs or lowest of lows, God's presence and power is with Joseph. Why? Another way, who cares? Well, here's why for the sake of blessing others and moving God's mission forward in the world. Now, before we dive into chapters 40 and 41, we got to remember the shoulders on which 40 and 41 stand is chapter 39. And last week, Scott preached a great message on chapter 39. So flip back there real quick. And I want you to think about this. What's the point of chapter 39? If you didn't listen to it, go back and get it on podcast 
Everybody thinks this story is all about Joseph fleeing sexual temptation. And that's definitely part of the narrative. But I don't think that's the point that the author wants us to see. What the author wants us to see is that God was with Joseph. Look at verse 2. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 21. Look at verse 23. So you got four times in one chapter... The author of Genesis is making a point. God is with Joseph. God is with Joseph. Don't miss it. I'm repeating it over and over so that you don't miss it. I want you to see it. I'm with Joseph. God is with Joseph. So that jumps off the page in chapter 39. Framed for rape or not, I'm with Joseph. And we're going to continue to see that be illustrated in 40 and 41 today. God is with Joseph. His presence is with Joseph. Now, presence is a big deal. Presence is a big deal. Presence is powerful. And there's lots of examples about presence that we could talk about in our culture today. But the one that jumps off the page for me is my marriage. When I talk about presence. Um, So almost 18 years ago, I stood in a room about this size in front of all my friends and family and God himself. And, and I looked in my wife's eyes and she looked in my eyes and we essentially said to one another, we're not going anywhere. Unless one of us dies, we're not going anywhere. No matter what, I will be with you. It was a vow. That's powerful. It's life-altering presence, right? Presence is a big deal. And married or not, marriage is not the issue. It's just an illustration of the issue. Human beings were created for presence, even if you're single. And here's the presence that we're created for, God's presence. God's presence, ultimately. So God wants us to see some things today about presence and the purpose of God's presence in the life of Joseph. Because here's the point. No matter where Joseph is, highest of highs or lowest of lows, God's presence and power is with Joseph. Why? For the sake of blessing others and moving God's mission forward in the world. So what we're going to do is I'm just going to read through this text. And we're going to cover two chapters. I'm going to stop and make some comments along the way. It'll be quicker than you think. And, uh, and then we're going to apply it to our lives, and then we'll be done. So let's get started here with chapter 40. So sometime after this, after what? Well, after Joseph was framed for raping Potiphar's wife, which he did not do, and he was thrown in prison. So after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh, another name for the king of Egypt... And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. All right, so Joseph's framed for rape that he did not do, thrown in prison, and in prison, there's these two high officials, a cupbearer and a baker. Now, the cupbearer and the baker would be important 
officials in the kingdom of Pharaoh because they're, they have a protective role. Pharaoh's not going to eat or drink anything that's not safe for him, okay? So these are, these are close confidence. The Bible doesn't tell us what they did. They did something that earned them the disfavor of Pharaoh somehow, so much so that he puts them in prison. Verse 5. And one night they, were, they both dreamed. So we got this theme, we got this theme of dreams, right, in Joseph's life. His own dream that we talked about a couple weeks ago, and now these guys' dreams. And it's going to continue. And one night they both dreamed, and the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt were confined in the prison, each, of his own, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So Joseph here is acknowledging the power to interpret dreams is is God's power. That's verse 8 right there, right? But he knows that he holds this unique power. So God's power, that's all God's, is flowing through him. And don't forget that repeated refrain of chapter 39. God is with Joseph. God is with Joseph. God is with Joseph. So it stand to follow that Joseph knew that God was with him in the midst of these trials and that he would grant him the power to interpret dreams. So let's check it out. Verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me. And on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of the three branches. The three, I'm sorry, this is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me this kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of the house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I've done nothing they should put me into the pit." So Joseph tells the cupbearer about this first dream here that you're going to be restored. You're going to receive forgiveness and reconciliation. He uses this vivid, this vivid phrase, the lifting up of your head. It's like a, a, a child who's ashamed looking down and the parent lovingly puts the hand under the chin and lifts the head. Symbolic of you don't have to have this presence, have anything come between us by looking down. No, we can look each other in the eye. Because relationships somehow, in, in a lot of ways, are communicated through our eyes. So you don't have to have your head down. You can have your head up. And I will lift your head as communicating restoration. That's what he's talking about here. And after he communicates that, he just says something simply. He says, in light of this being true of you, that I've predicted by the power of God flowing through me through this dream that you've had, once you're restored, just don't forget about me. Just remember me. I, I didn't deserve to be here because my brothers mistreated me. 
And I don't deserve to be in this prison because Potiphar's wife mistreated me. This is all unjust. The whole deal is unjust. And I want to get out of here. So please advocate for me to Pharaoh. That's what he says. Verse 14, just remember me. All right, so now that was the cupbearer. Now, I'm sorry, was it the cupbearer? Yeah, cupbearer. And now the baker hears about this. The baker is overhearing this dream interpretation party, and he doesn't want to be left out because guess what? He had a dream too, okay? He's like, what about me? Well, let's read about him. Verse 16. When the, chief, uh, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. I think this guy might have regretted speaking up about his dream. My word. So this lifting up of the head phrase takes on a radically different meaning, a devastating meaning. Basically, you're going to be decapitated and birds are going to eat your flesh. How about that? So on the third day, verse 20, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer, here's the key, verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And so ends verse, uh, chapter 40. So, so what do you think we should make of chapter 40? Let's review the main point for the morning in light of 41 and 42. No matter where Joseph is, highest of highs or lowest of lows, God's presence and power is with Joseph. Why? For the sake of blessing others and seeing and moving God's forward, seeing God's mission move forward in the world. So how do we see that fleshed out? Well, number one, we see, first of all, it's clear that uh, Joseph has God's power flowing through him. He's already said it. Interpretation of dreams is only from the Lord, and he's doing it. So obviously, the Lord's power is flowing through him. But here's the other thing we see that's very important. Just because God's presence and power is so profoundly with Joseph, that doesn't mean that Joseph is exempt from suffering. That doesn't mean that Joseph is exempt from suffering. And the cupbearer completely forgot him, right? The, the, I mean, put yourself in the cupbearer's shoes. This is always helpful when you're reading your Bible. Try to just put yourself in the shoes of, of those that you're reading about. It helps it come alive. So put yourself in the cupbearer's shoes. You've just had this crazy dream, and you've had this guy in prison with you interpret that dream, and... Okay, that sounds pretty cool. But then it actually came to pass exactly what he said. You would think that that moment would be burned into your brain, right? Like this Joseph guy, something's unique about him. 
And when Joseph asks, hey, man, just don't forget about me down here. Just advocate to Pharaoh for me that you would remember, right? Well, that's not what happens. Joseph continues to suffer because of the cupbearer's bad memory or whatever. He continues to languish in prison. So we see in chapter 40 that we see this lowest of lows. Just because God's presence and power is with us, that doesn't mean we won't have low lows. That doesn't mean that we're exempt from suffering. And hear this. God will deliver Joseph. That's going to be clear. It's going to be clear in a couple minutes. But God's timing is not Joseph's timing. Joseph's timing was, get me out of here now. That's what he's saying to the cupbearer. That's not God's timing. And part of the journey of faith for Joseph and for us is believing God in the midst of a lack of explanation about timing. You feel that? I know some of you are in that even right now. Like, Lord, the timing's not right, and I'm suffering. Joseph knows what that feels like. So here's the question. Is God worth trusting even in a cold, dark, demeaning Egyptian prison cell? What do you think? Let's keep reading. Chapter 41. After two whole years... That's a staggering statement. He continued to wait two more years. Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. So we've got some tension here. Crazy dreams. Pharaoh's having them. Usually in that culture, you would call the, the magicians and they would be able to interpret the dreams. Well, this one was too weird. This one was too crazy. And those guys evidently look at Pharaoh and said, we got nothing. So what happens next? Verse 9. Then, finally, the cupbearer gets a memory, right? Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. And he's repentant. Well, that's, that's good. I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I. So he's just recounting what we've already read. He and I, each having a dream with his own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was 
hanged. So two whole years it takes him to remember. Thankfully he did. The waiting is over, okay? So God comes through for Joseph in deliverance, even at the same time as he still was with him while he was suffering. So I remember this guy, Joseph, he was able. And take note that the, the cupbearer doesn't mention anything of God's power. It was just all about Joseph, okay? Verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. So you've been that long in prison, you're going to look a little ragged. So they clean him up before they present him before the most powerful man in the land. Makes sense. But this is right where we see the rags to riches story that captivates us all. It begins from the dungeon, from the pit, as the text says, to the most powerful man in the known world at the time. Verse 15. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not mine. Now look at who he gives the credit to. It's not mine. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So the, uh, the cupbearer didn't give credit, but Joseph certainly does. It's God's power. This is the Lord, okay? And Joseph again acknowledges it's God's power and his presence that's flowing through me. That's verse 16. So 17 through 32, let me just summarize it for you. Um, Pharaoh tells this crazy dream they had about cows eating cows and all that. And Joseph interprets it to mean this. There's going to be seven years of great farming and everyone's going to eat well. And after that, there's going to be seven years of really bad farming and famine and people are going to be really struggling. And so Joseph tells him what this dream means and then Joseph tells him to, to do the following. Verse 33. Now, Joseph's talking here. Therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food and these goods, or I'm sorry, and these good years, of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt. So that the land, so why? So that the land may not perish through the famine. So look at verse 36 and how that connects to, to our point. What's the point of all of this power of God, presence of God flowing through Joseph in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows? What is it? It's the blessing of others. No matter where Joseph is, highest of highs or lowest of lows, God's presence of power is with him for the sake of blessing others and moving God's mission forward in the world. Well, what's the blessing? The blessing is if they don't listen to Joseph, they're all going to starve. But they do listen to Joseph. And this massive blessing follows. And take note, this presence and power of God is not so that Joseph can get a big head. Check out my cool dream interpretation skills. That's not the point. The point is blessing of others. Blessing of others. We're going we're gonna to avoid disaster by God's power working through me. Verse 37, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this 
in whom is the Spirit of God. Now look who's recognizing the power of God now. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, again, since God has shown you all this, there's none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Authority, massive authority. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. All of these are symbols of power and authority. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. So right here is the immediate rags to riches story. It'd be, I mean, talk about a roller coaster of a life, right? Can you imagine going from this? It'd be like going from a third world prison to being the right-hand man or woman to the president of the United States in a moment. Can you imagine that? He gives him his ring. A signet ring is a symbol of authority. Like you can sign off on anything. That's what a signet ring would do. It says the authority of the man himself, you have it, embodied in this ring. And he rides around the city, and, and as he's coming, as Joseph's coming, they hear the, the words call out, bow the knee. Well, why would they bow the knee? Because it's a physical representation of the greatness of Joseph in this country, of his power and authority. He's great and mighty. And isn't it fascinating that this pagan king of Egypt doesn't know anything of Yahweh, doesn't know anything of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He can still recognize this is God's power, that Joseph has. These are massive, vivid pictures, are they not? So let me just summarize the rest of the story. Um, Joseph enacts this plan to use their resources wisely so they don't overeat as a nation when times are good and, and they save appropriately for when times are bad. And many, many lives are saved because of the power and the presence of God that was with Joseph in the lowest of lows and the highest of highs to be a blessing to others and to see God's mission move forward. And check out what it says at the very end, verse 56. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. And this is key. Moreover, all the earth came to Joseph, came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. See the repeated refrain, all the earth, twice in one verse? Why is that significant? Have we, have we talked about all the earth in our series in Genesis? What was the promise to Abraham? What was the promise to Joseph's great-grandfather? In chapter 12, in chapter 17, in chapter 22, God comes to Joseph's great-grandfather Abraham and says, I'm going to use you and your family generation after generation after generation to what? To be a blessing to the whole earth. He said to Abraham, through you, all the world's going to be blessed. And you're going to have my power and my presence with you, Abraham, and all those that come after you. And so here stands 
the great-grandson, and we begin to see God is true to his word. As he uses this family to be a blessing, not to just a small group, right, but to all the earth. They stream to him for salvation from this physical famine, from physical starvation. God is using this family and he's keeping his word that they're going to be a blessing to all nations. The whole earth comes to Joseph because of the power and the presence of God that flows through him. So here's, here's, here's the deal. As we round third, here's the point. Here's the theme. This theme that we see in the life of Joseph is fully worked out in our lives as well. Because of what Jesus, not because of what Joseph has done, but because of what Jesus has done. The truer and the better Joseph, right? See, Joseph is foreshadowing here the work of Jesus in our lives. The work that he did back then is just a, a, a is redone and replayed more fully and more completely in Jesus. And that applies to us where you sit today in Madison. See, think about it like this. Jesus was the presence of God. He didn't just have it. He was it. He says, you see me, you've seen the Father. I am the presence of God. I am the temple. He was the power of God because he was God. And Jesus was the ultimate ruler that came to bless others, just like Joseph. For the saving of many. He said, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. Translation, not just those that are physically hungry, those that are spiritually hungry. Stream to me. All nations are, will, are welcome to come if they're willing. And he also suffered greatly, just like Joseph. Did he not? But then what happened? Exalted. Easter. Resurrection. And because that's true, one day, just like with Joseph, the Bible says, Philippians 2, every knee will bow and know and acknowledge, willingly or not, that Jesus is Lord. Because Jesus died in our place and bore the wrath of God that we deserve for our sin and then was risen to new life that we're going to celebrate massively next week, He can be trusted. He can be treasured. Just like Joseph could be trusted in his role, Jesus can be trusted and treasured. He's the truer and better Joseph. And the question for us is, are we willing to trust? Are we willing to trust? Are we willing to treasure? And if you answer yes, I want to fully connect the dots. Because if you answer yes, this... Joseph's mission that's fulfilled in Jesus is now given to us. Because look at what Jesus said to us, to the church, before he physically left the earth, as the mandate for the church, for his people. He said, and Jesus came and said to them, his first followers and us too, two millennia later, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me as power. Just like Joseph had all the power. Jesus is saying, that Joseph-like power, it's mine, actually. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. Because of that's true and you believe in me, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So all the nations stream to Joseph 
And now we're called to go out and go to them because they're welcome. They're welcome to come. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So Joseph had a mission for salvation, and we got a mission too for salvation. Joseph's mission was to bless the nations and save them. We've got a mission too that Jesus has given us to bless the nations and see them saved, right? See God's mission move forward in the world. Like that's what church is all about. This is our mandate. This is why we exist. But here's the deal. Just like Joseph in presence, what do we have? We have that too. I'm with you. See it? I'm with you. I'm with you. So, so our point for today could be reinterpreted like this. No matter where we are, highest of highs or lowest of lows, God's presence and power is with us. I'm not making it up. It's straight Bible, right? Matthew 28. He's with us. Why? Same reason. For the sake of blessing others, go make disciples, teach them all that I've commanded, baptizing them. That's blessing. To know God's word and to love and trust and treasure Jesus, that's blessing. For the sake of blessing others and moving God's mission forward in the world. So Joseph's mission is our mission. It just gets reinterpreted with Jesus at the center. And thankfully, Joseph's presence, that he had the presence of God with him, we're promised that as well. I am with you. So every summer, um, I take my boys on a father-son trip with five other dads and seven or eight other Boys, they're rapidly becoming men. Uh, we do a, a, a fall camping trip with the, myself and the girls. But we do, we've been doing this annual father-son trip for about five years. And this year we're going backpacking in Colorado. And if you know anything about high elevation backpacking in the Rockies, it can be a little challenging, a little scary, a little, um, you got to be prepared, right? You got to know what you're doing. I've never done this before. And I'm responsible for Taylor and Emery uh, as their dad, taking them on this trip. And so, man, I wouldn't do this by myself. I've never done it. But one of the dads, his name is Dan. My man, Dan, Dan Frang. And he's got experience. He's done this before. And he's endured a lot. He's been through a lot. Here's an example of that. One time when he was backpacking in Idaho, they had to drive about nine hours on, you know, one of these really sketchy gravel roads. And then from the drop-off point, they had to hike another six to get where they were going. So they're 15 hours away from like the nearest hospital or civilization. So literally middle of nowhere, Idaho, way up there. And Dan has asthma, so hiking, he needs his inhaler. And I don't know how this works medically, but just according to him, he, he bent down to take his inhaler and he stood up a little too fast and he passed out. And evidently, what happened is he fell over and hit his head. And he woke up, and the two buddies he was with, they were off doing something else. They didn't see him go down. But he, and he doesn't even know how long he was out. 
But he remembers waking up and like knowing something's wrong, something happened, he puts his hand on the back of his head because it hurt. And he said, all he brought back was just massive amounts of blood and hair. So he knew we had a problem. And they're 15 hours from the nearest hospital and he's by himself now. And so evidently the guys, the other, his friends came back there soon after, or he probably would have just bled out and died. And he, before they'd come back, he told me, he's like, Zach, I thought this was it. Like, I'm just going to die here alone on this mountain and um, I'm just going to bleed out because it was just blood everywhere. And so he said, these guys come, returned from whatever they were doing, and they had that look on their faces like, okay, we're trying to subdue the panic, but it was clear like that this is a bad situation, but we're going to manage it and not freak him out because he's injured, but he could tell, he could read the nonverbals, and they weren't doing a good job hiding it, and they're like washing it out, and then one of them says, is that his skull? And, and, and they're like, no, it's a rock. So they pull the rock out, and, and they didn't have anything really, but um, I, I learned, this is a little raw, um, but we're all family here, so just bear with me. Like, I learned that when you backpack, um, one of the things that you want to do is um, supply feminine hygiene products because of absorbency. And so my, my poor friend Dan is running around all week with maxi pads on his head because <laughs> it works. And I, I, I got educated. God willing, that won't happen to me uh, this summer. So poor Dan, he's been through a lot and he um, has endured a lot when he's gone on these trips. But thankfully, he's going with us this summer. And when you go backpacking, you know, you're probably going to endure some hardships. You're going to have some, some um, challenges you're going to have to overcome. I wouldn't do it by myself. But since Dan's going, we're all going. Because he's been there before. And his presence with us gives us confidence and power and assurance that everything's going to be fine. Because Dan's got experience. And Dan's done this before, and he knows what he's doing. And the deal is this, guys. Jesus has done this before, and he knows what he's doing. And he says that he's with you by the power of his spirit. And nothing you're going to endure in your life as you seek to make disciples and as we seek to plant churches and live on mission for him to neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration, nothing's going to surprise him. He's been there before. He knows what he's doing. And he says that he's with us. And there's no promise, Vine family, that we won't have 13 years of low lows. There's no promise of that. And in the lows, our faith is always tested, is it not? But may we be reminded this morning that God's word is just as rock solid, strong as iron true in the lows as it is in the highs. And if you're a Christian this morning, God will eventually and ultimately work all things for your good because he's your loving father. He loves you. And his mysterious timing is challenging at times, but he loves you and he's with you. And here's the deal. Even 
even if the lows get so low that you think you're going to die, even if you die, nothing can touch you. Why? Because the tomb is empty. And that's what we celebrate next week. Amen? The tomb is empty. And he says that he's going to raise us with him just as he's been raised. If, if the tomb is not empty, y'all should just go home. But that's not what we believe. It's empty. And so what greater hope could there be in the lowest of lows? Even if martyrdom comes our way, even if the horrible car accident comes our way, even if the marriage falls apart, even if we can't get our finances in order, even if the, the, the most crazy thing ever happens to you, nothing can ultimately touch you because the tomb is empty. And he says that he's with us. He's with us, just like he was with Joseph. So hold on, so hold on, so hold on. He is with us and for us, and his power flows through us, even in the lowest of lows. And this news that we declare and demonstrate to neighbors and nations through disciple-making and church planting is the blessing that God promised to Abraham that was foreshadowed in Joseph, finally fulfilled in Jesus, and is the message that we carry. And we carry it as he's with us. The authority of King Jesus is with us, so carry it with confidence. That's our mission. No matter the highs or the lows, if you're a Christian here today, your life is all about God's power working through you just like it was working through Joseph by his spirit to be a blessing by moving God's mission of salvation forward in the world. That's what we're about. That's what the vine's about. That's what the vine family's about. And may we continue to do it together by his power. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word we pray that our, our lives would cherish it and treasure it and trust it so that we can um, be empowered to bring your gospel to all nations. In Jesus' name, amen.